Hey, good to see you guys. Uh, my name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, Chris went fishing with some of the guys uh, the last few days, so he asked me if I'd fill in, and I'm, I'm happy to do that. Uh, who all went fishing? Anybody in here? How'd it go? Did you guys catch stuff? Steven says yes. Fun trip? Good trip? Awesome. Um, well, as you know, uh, we, we started studying through the book of First John, and then we're going to hit Second John and Third John after that. And so this morning, uh, man, my voice sounds crazy. Uh, <laughs> uh, this morning, we're going to be uh, in chapter 2, verses 7 through 14. So uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. First John chapter 2, verses 7 through 14. Uh, and if you need a copy of God's Word, if you want to raise your hand, our ushers would be glad to hand you one. Um, we'd love for you to use that. Uh, and if you don't own a Bible, you can take that home with you. Uh, or you can turn in your digital device or, or whatever is most convenient for you. But let me remind you about a couple things about First John before we uh, dive in and read these verses together. It's week three of our series. And First John was written by John the Apostle, right? So this was, you know, one of the inner three of Jesus' guys, Peter, James, and John. It's that John. A lot of scholars believe he was maybe the youngest of Jesus' apostles. Uh, he lived the longest, certainly, uh, that we're aware of historically. And so they think he may have been, of the, of the 12, he may have been one of the younger guys. Uh, and he also referred to himself as the apostle whom Jesus loved. Um, so it just feels like they had a, a really cool relationship there. But he writes this probably around 80 AD or so is what we think. And it probably went out to churches in and around Ephesus originally. So he writes this letter, and he's, he's writing because there's all these controversies that are coming up about the nature, the true nature of Christianity. You know, what is Jesus, who is Jesus really like? What's he really like? And, and what did he teach? And actually, what does it mean to be one of his disciples? And as we're going to see, there, there were some who probably were formerly in the church and had left the church but who were influencing the people in the church and saying, well, Jesus is actually this, and to actually follow him, you have to do this. And there are all these weird ideas. And so John just says, hey, I, I want you guys to understand what's really going on. I want you to understand what the, who the authentic Jesus is and what the authentic gospel is. He even begins, and we studied this a couple weeks ago, but in 1 John 1.1, 1, 1, he, says, he says, remember, guys, I was with him. He says, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He goes, I, the word of life is Jesus. He says, I was there. I hugged him. I touched him. I ate the Lord's supper with him. I saw him with my eyes. I heard him teach with my ears. In other words, I know who the authentic Jesus is. And I want to remind you of what he taught and what it means to follow him. And I want to remind you who he is, and there are some who are trying to upset you, and I want to set the record straight. That's kind of the context of 1 John. So let's go ahead and read now. 1 John 2, verses 7 through 14 is our passage today. And this is what it says. It says, Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light 
and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not even know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And then there's this kind of three poetic sort of verses where he reminds us of some stuff. He says this, he says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you've overcome the evil one. And then he repeats kind of the same thing. He says, I'm writing to you children because you know the father. And I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. This is God's word. Let's pray and ask him to help us. Father, as we think about these verses and as we think about who Jesus really is and what it means for us to be his followers, Lord, I pray that you would meet us wherever we are. Lord, maybe there's some in here today who are struggling with faith, and I pray that you would join them in that struggle and reassure their faith. Lord, maybe there's some in here today who are suffering, and you know what that's all about. And I pray that you'd meet them in their suffering and give them peace and strength. Lord, some of us this morning are caught in sin. And I pray that you would be good enough to point out our sins to us. Because you already know them. Sometimes we just hide them from ourselves. But point out our sins to us. Convict us. And help us to confess and repent of those sins. And bring us near again to Jesus. And Father, more than anything, would you just make your love very present and felt to all of us in this room today. And Lord, help us to then love others the same way that we've been loved. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things I'm into, and you may have picked up on this, uh, as I'm into sneakers, and uh, I can get into anything and then devote lots of time and money to that thing, and I never really leave anything I'm into. It just kind of ebbs and flows. I'm into woodworking. I'm into fishing. I'm into sneakers. I'm into coffee. I'm, you know, just kind of like more time and money goes to one thing or the other, and then I kind of leave it and come back to another. But, but I'm into sneakers, and uh, so I've, I've bought way too many pairs over the last couple of years. Um, but I grew up in the, in the golden era of sneaker culture, right, uh, which was Michael Jordan. It was the late 80s and early 90s. I'm just going to show you a recent pair I got. This pair, I haven't worn these yet. There's a pair of, uh, these are Dunk Highs, red and white, pretty flashy. Um, but there's this huge thing going on with sneakers. We'll just set these out. That's, that's fun. I'll just set. Yeah, it is right. Um, one of the one of the things with sneakers, especially sought after pairs, whoop, especially sought after pairs, is are these authentic or not? Because I don't know if you know this, if you're not into the sneaker game, but but uh, there's there's a lot of pairs. It's it's hard to get them. 
Nike drops limited pairs or Adidas drops limited pairs. And you want those pairs, but they sell out instantly. There's this thing called the sneakers app, and it's either it's the bane of most people's existence because you're like, I'm signing up for the draw. Did I get in? You know, you get the notification, then 10 minutes later you go, I didn't, I didn't win them. Uh, so then you got to buy them in aftermarket, and they cost more money. That's kind of what's going on in the sneaker game. And so if you're buying a pair aftermarket, there's these sites you can go to, or you can buy a pair from, from somebody you know. But, but a big question for everybody is, are these authentic? Because there's fakes out there, and the fakes are getting increasingly good. And so if you're about to drop, let's say a coveted pair. Let's say, let's say the Dunk Low Chunky Dunky. Have you guys seen these? It's a Ben & Jerry's inspired shoe. It looks like a Ben & Jerry's carton. They go on average for about $2,000 a pair. That's nothing to say, like, if you have an 85, a 1985, like original Jordan 1, there you're talking like $30,000, just so you guys know how insane this gets, or more, depending on the condition. But let's say you want to buy a pair of, of $2,000 Chunky Dunkies, and you're willing to fork out the cash. You want them so bad, coveted, I, I must have these sneakers. You want to make sure that you're getting an authentic pair, because there's fakes out there, Right? Well, I, I looked up, you know, how do you know nine tips to legit check your shoes? I found this on the internet. And we're going to go through these quickly. But, but let's say you're going to buy a pair. You already bought a pair. Did I get a real pair? Is this the authentic thing? Well, you want to check the source. Like these, I actually happened to hit on the sneakers app, which I actually really wasn't intending to spend money. I didn't think I'd hit, but I was like, yeah, I'll sign up. I won't win. And then I won. I was like, well, I got a pair. Um, spent that money. But, you know, check the source. If you're getting them straight from Nike, you're probably good eBay has this authenticity guarantee thing now. You might be good. StockX, same thing. They might be good. But if you're just buying from a person, how do you know if they're real? Well, you check your source. Does this person seem like a legitimate thing? I'm going to read you some of this, what it said online, because I think it's funny. But the person who wrote the article says, who are you dealing with? Who is Steve? Steve has 11 friends in one profile picture. He's holding three stacks of money while leaning against a car. His job, he's a point guard for the NBA. Impressive. If you're buying off social media, check their credentials. Make sure their page is fully functioning, that they have likes and normal activity. If they have one picture and two likes, I'm willing to bet it's a fake profile. Don't buy from that person. By the way, if you get a Facebook request from a person with one profile picture and, and like one post, that's a fake person. Don't, don't become their friend. It's not mean. Just leave it alone. What else can you do? What's in the box? You know, you look at the box. Does the box seem authentic? Do all the numbers on the box match up? You can look online and see what the numbers are supposed to be for this pair. And you can, you know, check to see if they're authentic. Same thing with the tags inside the shoes. You can look inside the shoes to the serial number. And you can check that. And you can know, is this the right serial number to go with this model of shoe and this size? My favorite one, my favorite legit check you smell the sneaker. Have you guys ever heard this? Fresh pair. If they're fake, oftentimes they smell toxic. They smell skunky. So either cheap materials or somebody was smoking pot around your shoes. Either way, <laughs> leave that pair of shoes alone. They're probably fakes. What's the price? Is it too good to be true? Probably is. How do these compare with other shoes that look similar? There's all these things. I won't go through them all. Well, John's kind of doing a similar thing. How do we know the authentic 
Jesus. How do we know that we got the real one? How do we know what he really taught? And John's saying, well, look, I was there with him. And I'm writing you this whole letter so that you would know because there's some in your midst who are trying to lead you astray. And they're actually saying things that are not true. And so one of the checks that he gives us is the, the authenticity of love. That's one of the ways that we can know that the Christianity we have and the Jesus we have is authentic. So that's what I want to talk about today. So the first thing is the authenticity of God's love. So if you look at these first two verses again, seven and eight, listen to what he says. He says, Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. And he says, at the same time, it is a new commandment. This is confusing. It's weird. It's old. It's not new. Oh, it's new. Uh, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in Jesus, and it's true in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. If you go further in the letter, letter 1 John 3.23, he actually says, and this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he's commanded us. So that's what he's talking about. I'm not writing you a new commandment. It's the old commandment that you've already had. Here's the commandment. Believe in the gospel. Love one another. That's the old commandment. He says, but at the same time, it is a new commandment. All right? So what's he talking about? That's, that's weird. Well, the first clue is he says, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. So he wants to remind us that the gospel doesn't change. We, we, this, is, this is the story about the world. What Jesus has done with his life and by his death and with his resurrection that changes everything. Tim Keller says it this way. The gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A to Z of Christianity. We don't graduate to a different message. We don't move on to some deeper learning. We just understand the gospel in a deeper and deeper way as we think about the fact that we are saved only by God's sheer grace, that Jesus has done all the hard work for us, and that he gives us his righteousness, and he takes our sin, and he bears the punishment for our sin so we don't have to, and then gives us his love and his righteousness, and he puts it on him, on us. And he rose from the dead to give us new resurrection life. That's the message we've had from the beginning. And John says, don't move past it. What you've heard from the beginning, the commandment to believe that gospel, and then that gospel transforms you so that you love other people, that's the old commandment. But then he says something even weirder. He says, but it is a new commandment. But what does he mean by that? Well, if you remember, Jesus actually said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. So maybe he's referring to that. But there's another clue in the text, and this is the other clue, verse 8. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him, and it's true in you, because, listen to the because, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. 
I think that's the clue to what he means by this old new thing. You see, something happened when Jesus came. He inaugurated the kingdom of God. The old way of the world began to pass away and the new way of the world began to dawn. Jesus tells us the parable of the mustard seed to demonstrate this. He says, and I'll read it to you. He says, he put another parable before them, Matthew 13, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Then he tells a second little parable. It's just like, he says, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Both those parables demonstrate this, this point. With Jesus, the kingdom of God was inaugurated and it's been growing. So it's a mustard seed that was small, but it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger until it's a tree that covers everything. It's like leaven that was in this little bit of dough, but then the leaven spreads until all of the dough is leavened. When Jesus came to earth, he even told the, the, the crowds one day, he says, he says, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. He says, it's here. It's here with me, and it's growing. It's changing. Now think about how crazy this is. That, that's what John means. The darkness is passing away. The true light is shining. Why? Because Jesus came and he defeated death and darkness. And it's passing away and the new true light is shining. But it doesn't happen all at once. The old way is still overlapping with the new way. The old way is passing away. The new way is coming, but it doesn't just happen in a second. They overlap. So that's why our world still seems to be upside down. It still seems to be crazy. It is still filled with sin. And at the same time, that darkness is defeated and Jesus is reigning and he's putting back all things right. And that is the true light that's shining. Does that make sense? What does this have to do with love? I don't know where you guys are. I'm reading through our Bible reading plan, which is church. And so I read some of these stories in the Old Testament. You guys feel like this? And you're like, what in the heck is this about? What kind of God is this describing? And sometimes you're confused. And you're like, is the God of the Old Testament the same as the God of the New Testament? Sometimes it doesn't feel like he is. But that's a misperception. The God of the Old Testament is both fiercely serious about sin and fiercely loving. And the God of the New Testament will send all those who are unrepentant to hell. He's fiercely serious about sin. And yet Jesus is the perfect picture of how much God loves us. And when Jesus came and inaugurated the kingdom, the, the commandment to love one another was new in the sense that this, is that Jesus showed us, here's how Hebrews says it, just so I don't screw it up, but Hebrews 1 God says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, that's Jesus, listen to this, verse 3, Jesus is the radiance 
of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. What does all that mean? Jesus is the most pure, unadulterated picture to us of how much God loves us. So when we read some of these stories and we go, this doesn't seem, is that really who God is like? Yes, it is. But if we're confused at the end, we just look to Jesus and we see that he is the epitome of love. And we're reminded that's what God's like. His love is authentic. So if you are doubting, You remember that Jesus encourages us not to doubt, but he actually met um, Thomas in the middle of his doubt. He He didn't shove Thomas to the side. He said, it was here. I know it's hard. Here, feel the nail print. It's really me. When tragedy happens, Jesus meets, you know, he meets Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Lazarus is dead in their place of of weeping and mourning. He joins them in their mourning and he loves them and he weeps. That's the God, that's the character of the God that we're dealing with. John wants us to remember this is what God's really like, that, that Jesus loves us fiercely. His love is authentic. And when he came, he, he gave us like new glasses new spectacles to put on in order to more, even more clearly see the nature of God's love. So that's what makes the commandment new. We're commanded to receive that love and have that love, to believe in the gospel and spread that message. But, but it's new because Jesus made all things new. He, he let us see it more clearly. And then he says, because of that, the second thing is that we should have love. So he says, beloved, verse 7, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you because uh, it's true in him and it's true in you because the darkness is passing away, the kingdom has dawned, and the true light is already shining. And then he says this, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. And whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So John says, in effect, I want you to know the authenticity and the amazingness of God's love for you, but then you are to love your brothers and sisters and even neighbors with that same sort of love. And if you don't, your Christianity may not be authentic. You're certainly not living the sort of life that God has called you to live. So one thing that made First John just come alive to me this week as I was studying it, and I want to encourage you to do this. Chris says this a lot. You know, we just jumped into this series. If you've not read the book of 1 John ever, or if you've not read it in a while, it would take 30 minutes max to read the whole thing. And there's something to reading through a whole book in one 
sitting because it just kind of helps you gain the whole context as a whole and go, oh, and you, you, you begin to see things that you didn't see before. And so if you've not done that yet with First John or recently, I would encourage you just maybe today, sit down for 20, 30 minutes, read through the whole letter. And then just kind of, it, it'll just kind of make even more sense as we do this. But, but one of the things that made it come alive to me this week as I was reading and studying is that you can see what this splinter group was teaching by just paying attention to certain words that John uses. So I'm going to run through these. In 1 John 1, in 1 John chapter 1, he uses the same phrase three different times to describe these enemies of the gospel. He says, in verse 6, he says, if we say... He, he's, he's saying, this is what they're saying. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And then verse 8, he says, if we say, see it's again, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then in verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So this group was teaching that um, they had fellowship with the light, but they were still in darkness by the way that they were living. They were saying that they were sinless. And he says, nope, that ain't right. You're sinful. Then in chapter 2, he makes a similar sort of statement. He repeats it three times. He says, whoever says, so verse 4 in chapter 2, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Verse 6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner that he walks. Whoever says he is in the light, verse 9, and hates his brother is still in darkness. Verse 15 of chapter 2. If anyone, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 19 of chapter 2. They went, this, this one's killer. So he says, they've been saying this, they've been saying this, they've been saying this. If anyone says this, you need to pay attention to that person. That's not right. And then he says in verse 19, he says, by the way, they went out from us, this group, why? Because they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. Verse 23, no one who denies the son has the father. Verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Chapter 3, verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. 1 John 3, 6, no one who abides in him keeps sinning. 1 John 3, 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. So he doesn't use names, but he's mimicking, he's parroting the exact same things that this group is saying, and he's saying, that's not right, that's not right. That's not right. That's not right. If they do this, that's not true Christianity. If they say this about Jesus, that's not true Christianity. If they say they can just live in unrepentant sin, that's not true Christianity. If they say they can just hate their brother, that's not true Christianity. And that's the test he gives us in this passage today. There's a test of authentic Christianity. Do you love your brothers and sisters? Do you love your neighbors? It has become, what's the right word, frustrating and disgraceful and saddening for me to watch pastors and those in the ministry 
especially those from afar. Like, I don't personally have a relationship with them, but I've listened to such and such a sermon. I've heard such and such teach. They really helped me in the past. And watch some of these guys become so unloving. One pastor out in California told Beth Moore that she should go home. She teaches the word. She believes the word. And it's like he's become so anti-woman. I'm not talking about a pastor. I'm talking about somebody teaching. If you followed her ministry, you know what her ministry is like. It's marked by godliness. So she should go home and sit down. And there's example after example after example I could give you of men that I have followed in ministry whom I used to be greatly benefited from who are just the biggest jerks. And based on 1 John 2, I just have to step back and go, is this even Christianity? You're, you're concerned with being right? So you're unloving? That isn't a scam. There's a way to be grounded on the truth and not be a jerk. Right? And that's what Jesus calls us to, grace and truth. And so, and, and then I've watched other people, here's just another example, I've watched people that I've personally ministered to ab- abandon Abandon the bedrock of the truth. Because culture or those that were teaching them are saying, well, this, and it's just easier to believe that. Or it's easier to believe the meme on Instagram rather than go read the Bible for yourself and go, you know what? The Bible does call that a sin. Like there's just no way around it. And sometimes I want to grab them and shake them and go, listen, If you don't like Christianity anymore, fine. If you don't like the Bible anymore, just admit you don't like the Bible and you only agree with certain things, fine. Like, go abandon the whole thing. But don't try to say that you love God and you follow his word while lying about what the word of God teaches. Because you're deceiving yourselves and others. John's dealing with this sort of thing. And he says, one of the tests of authenticity is our love for one another. So it's a test for us today. Do you love one another? Do you love other Christians? Do you love your neighbors? Do you love those with whom you disagree politically? Do you love each other on social media? Etc. 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 Is there somebody that's wounded you so bad that you refuse to forgive them? I'm not saying trust them. They wounded you. You shouldn't trust them. But is there unforgiveness in our hearts where we say, I hate that person. I mean, I struggle with this. Thank God checks my heart sometimes and I have to ask myself have I really forgiven that person who wounded me or do I despise them 
Do I want what's bad for them? Or do I wish that they would come to repentance? Because John says that's authentic Christianity. It's that we are called to radically love one another. Just to quote Jesus again, John 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This little poetic thing at the end, that's the third point of my sermon. I think it's just John reminding us of what the gospel has already accomplished in us and how it empowers us to do what he just commanded. So he says, God has authentic love. We're commanded to have authentic love. And by the way, if that's hard, I want to remind you of all the things that the gospel has done in you and how it can empower you, how my spirit can empower you to do what I'm commanding here, right here. So he says, children. And commentators argue about whether children means children in the church or He's calling us all children because throughout the letter he calls us all children. So maybe he's addressing everybody here, but he says, he says, I'm writing to you, little children, because either way it's true, your sins have been forgiven. And he says, I'm writing to you fathers, and maybe he means the older part of the congregation at this point. He says, I'm writing to you fathers and mothers because you know Jesus who's from the beginning. And I want you to keep abiding in him that you've always known. Nothing has changed. He's the beginning and the end. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus, the gospel, it has not changed. And I want you to abide in him and remember him because you know him. And then he says, and I want you to remember young men, young women, the younger folks in the church. I want you to remember that you have defeated sin. How does he say it? He says, because you have overcome the evil one. And so you've overcome him but that doesn't mean it's completely worked out in your life. Like, the victory's been decided, but you need to work that out. And so keep fighting against unloving attitudes. Keep fighting against that sin that pesters you. Put on the full armor of God and fight against it. And so he's reminding us of these things that are true. And he says, out of these things, out of the truth of the gospel, the truth that you are forgiven, and the truth that Jesus does not change. And the truth that you can fight and overcome sin and that you are strong, out of the understanding of that, work out love. Work out authentic Christianity. Because that is what it looks like to walk with Jesus. And so I just want to challenge you as we close. You've, you've heard that saying that hurt people, hurt people? Well, loved people, love people. And so maybe this morning, maybe as we take communion in a second, you would remember again how deeply God loves you. And maybe you would meditate on that. Because it is as you meditate on that, as you realize how much God has showered his love on you, you can turn around and go, God, it's hard for me to love this person, but would you empower me to love them because I know that's what you've called me to do. I'm a loved person. Father, help me to love people. Let's pray. Father, this is so simple. Love God, love others. This is Christianity 101. 
And yet, Lord, it's so easy for people to lead us astray not to think that's what it's about or to think that we can harbor bitterness because we've been hurt or to think that it's somehow loving to not hold tight to the truth at the same time that you are loving others. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to be a family who's grounded in your truth and filled with your love. And Lord, if there's people here this morning who need to confess sin and maybe even confess sin one to another, Lord, help us to love one another. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.